She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Episode 12. Fire. Fire! 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 Tell us about the fire. (laughs) So this episode was written by Chris Carter and directed by Larry Shaw. Was filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia. Surprise, surprise. Its original air date was Friday, December 17th, 1993. And interestingly, Eve had aired the Friday before on December 10th. Mm-hmm. And then on Tuesday, December 14th at 8 p.m., they actually ran a rerun of Conduit. Oh. So Fox, I guess, decided to put one out there in the middle of the week. Maybe they had an empty slot they needed to fill. But for whatever reason, they aired an extra episode of The X-Files that week. Cool. Extra X-Files. Lots of X's. Extra <laughs> X-Files. Anyway, so this episode, Fire, had a viewership of 11.1 million in the United States which is continuing that nice upward trend that we've been getting the last few episodes. And since we're talking about Conduit, the rerun of Conduit actually basically had the exact same viewership when it originally aired, which is about 9.1 million, I believe. I think it's like 9 million. I think it was a little bit lower than the original air date. But, I mean, that's better than what Shadows or Fallen Angel got recently on their first runs, which, you know, isn't Fallen Angel's fault because that's mainly based on space, which was a dog of an episode. So... Yeah. yeah, I wonder if that has to do with like just the time slot or the fact that it was midweek and so more people who may not have originally seen it tuned in. Yeah, or earlier maybe because maybe yeah. people watching. Yeah, and I didn't check. I should have. I didn't check to see what normally airs at that time. So that may have been a thing too of where people were just like already like planning to be on that channel and then like something else came on. They were like, oh, hey, cool. UFOs. Sweet. <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So, fire. Yeah. Tell me more about fire. I want to know more about fire. Fire. So, when an ex girlfriend of Mulder's from Scotland Yard shows up with a strange series of arsons, Mulder suspects pyrokinesis. He kind of tells Scully she can sit this one out, but Scully keeps researching behind the scenes while Mulder and his ex try to find the arsonist. Oh, so. Yeah, I can't figure out how to like shoehorn aliens in here, so I'm just gonna. Um. Like fire aliens? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if fire aliens are a thing. I mean, you know, speaking of conduit, they burned the shit out of that trailer. Oh, yeah. um, Other than that, yeah, I think we're going to have to probably, like, assume that there aren't aliens in this one. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. So, episode opens in Bosom, England, which is 70 miles southwest of London. And there's this old guy and this young lady, and she kisses him, and he's like, oh, darling, da-da-da-da. So they're British, apparently. And he's walking past all his gardeners to get into his car, so he must be like aristocracy or something. And he's wishing all of them, like, oh, good day, good job, good job, good job. And he's all, good day, Cecil. And Cecil's like, kind of looking at him. And then he gets in the car and he's waving to his wife and Cecil's watching him. And then all of a sudden, boom, his like arm catches on fire. The old dude, not Cecil. Right. And he's like, oh, oh. And then Cecil smiles. And then we cut back to the dude and the dude is totally on fire and he falls down and he's dead. And everyone's like, oh my God. And like runs around and tries to put out the fire. And Cecil just like sits there and watches. 
Yeah, not suspicious at all. No, and then we get the theme song. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and Cecil's got like an evil goatee because he's the villain. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the deal is with that because then like he only has that goatee in this scene. Right, he shaves I mean, it for We're going to transfer all the action from, you know, jolly old England to the United States. So when he becomes like an American English villain, he loses the goatee. Yes. And also sometimes loses his accent and yeah it's kind of strange anyway so yeah yeah i have to say just from this opening scene and then stuff that's gonna happen later like if this was focused on any other country that maybe didn't include white people you'd be like dude that's racist because this is some ridiculously stereotypical Stuff well, here. you can't be racist yeah. against white people. That's a fact. No, you can't. But you can be horrible. <laughs> you can't be stereotypical, and they are. These are very stereotypical. Like oh the whole, it's it's very much like if you watch a lot of BBC specials about like mysteries or whatever. This reminds you of like a BBC mystery special. <laughs> yeah, except not as good because like they're behaving like he's in some grand manner and they're like they're coming out of a house and he's walking like 20 feet to a car but he's got like six servants like picking at grass and stuff that are supposed to like, you know, working yeah. on his grounds which is a little... And then we've got like the old British dude and the young like Lady Die wife and so there's definitely some like Princess Diana fixation going on in this episode too. Right, well I think they're just, but, they are supposed to be like aristocracy and like sir yeah i don't know anyway yeah Yeah. so in case you didn't get the clue from the opening about how maybe bad this is gonna be this was written by chris carter and i i mean i think there are some people who have like one great idea in their life and then they just need to step back and let other people <laughs> grow that idea. And I think Chris Carter might be one of those people. Well, and like, okay. The exception of the pilot, like none of his episodes have been good. So far. <laughs> but, so like, w- the way TV works, and I don't know if this is how X-Files worked, because obviously everything could be different. But like, usually what happens is they, like the writers on the show pitch an idea, and then one person writes the base script. And then after they write the script it's like workshopped with the whole writer group and, you know, changes a lot. And then it changes while they film too. And then the person who did the base script gets like the writing credit, even though they didn't, you know, you know, other stuff gets thrown in there. So it's not like all of them. (laughs) So I don't know how much of it is just like the writer that's getting the credit or if X-Files really was just like one writer or one team did it and there wasn't a lot of feedback externally or if there, I don't know what the situation was. So we'll discuss this later. So there's a little bit of like, I don't know if it's like writer room action going on, but there is some like polishing of turds maybe going on in this particular case. But um, even if that's the case and I'm I'm not going to call you an apologist, but you're being generous and <laughs> I like Chris Carter. <laughs> well, do you know, Chris Carter again, he no. might be a misogynist. Although anyway, he so, was related to like my high school counselor, but I never oh, met okay. him. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just going to slander everybody in this podcast. I know. I know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Poor Morgan anyway. is already like <laughs> bruised in the corner. And now, <laughs> yeah, well he's, he's getting a break. So he's got some, he's got some healing time going on. So this is going to be all Chris Carter right here. This episode. But, like, even if that's the case, or, like, worked it, like, so they all worked on it this much, and it's, let's not bury it. Like, this episode, at least in my opinion, is not good. 
So it's definitely not my favorite. So let's go. Let's no. talk about the actual episode, and then we'll talk about okay why. Because right. people who haven't seen it in a while may want a reminder yep. of what happens. Okay, so we're leave we're leaving Bozum, England. Yeah, and we end and... up in Washington D.C. Surprise! All right. Uh, so Scully and Mulder are walking through a parking garage, and Mulder's carrying a big stack of files. Scully is like, I forgot what it was like to spend a day in court. So clearly they've just left testifying in court. And Mulder says, that's the luxury of hunting aliens and genetic mutants. They rarely press charges. Uh, So Mulder's like searching for his keys and Scully kind of pulls on the door and it opens and she's like, oh, Mulder, it's unlocked. And he's like, are you sure? I swore I locked it. And they get in the car and they notice there's a cassette tape on the dashboard. Mm. Ooh, mysterious. It's probably deep throat. So he puts the tape into the stereo and the voice on the tape is a woman with a British accent. And she basically tells the story of this man who received a similar tape. And when he put it in the tape deck, it like activated this bomb in the car. And then when he pulled on his car door to open it, it triggered an explosion. And then she goes into detail about how awful this explosion was. And they couldn't even like find his teeth. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Or British shit. Yeah. And so Scully's like, Free, you can see her face like she and she gasps no and they are both terrified and why wouldn't you be yeah if someone's telling you like oh someone else just put a tape in their car and it made the car explode when they tried right. to get and out. someone unlocked their car so like they could have tampered with anything so yeah. like they both look terrified and then the door opens and so scully gasps because like the door opened and you know nothing explodes mm-hmm. thankfully and this woman with a british accent's like looking rather ghostly i can't do an accent i don't know why i tried <laughs> But she's like, you're looking rather ghostly. And it's like, you think, like, yeah, scared the crap out of them. And so then after a moment, Mulder turns to Scully and he's like, it's an old friend. He gets out of the car. And so she, he talks to this woman. She's like, have you lost your sense of humor? And then she like kisses the side of his mouth. And Scully gets out of the car and Mulder's like, this is Phoebe Green, the terror of Scotland Yard. And Mulder's like, what are you doing here? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, and then Phoebe, like, she whispers to, like, Mulder, she's like, she hates me about Scully, and I'm just sitting there thinking, like, Scully is giving her this look that's, like, she's half amused that this woman is, like, trying to make out with Mulder's cheek, and she's half annoyed, and, like, this woman just tried to prank them into thinking their car was rigged to explode, so, yeah, she's not that excited to meet you. Nobody would be. She also, because we flipped POV, like we were getting like the kiss was like the POV from Scully looking across the car. And then we flip point of view to where we're actually seeing it. Like Scully would be behind them when she does the like, she hates me. But she puts her head behind Mulder to like whisper it to him, which means she's actually leaning into Scully when she says it. (laughs) So, yeah. It's weird. They didn't didn't block that one very well. Yeah. And obviously this is not a friend, quote unquote, because clearly they have been more than friends. Or at least that's what we're meant to figure out. Yeah. So unlike most of the episodes that we've been doing lately, I actually did zero reading of anything about this one before watching it. And so like after Jolly Good Time in Jolly Old England and we got the theme song, like the first credit we get is guest starring Amanda Pays. And I was like, yes cool i remember amanda pays like she was in max headroom she was in the flash she's married to corbin burnson and they oh. actually got married they actually got married the year i graduated from high school like in 1988 and they are still married oh they have like gosh. four kids 
Yeah. And I love Corbin Bernson. He's, yeah, he's, he's from the, LA Law, of course. Yeah, and he's the dad in Psych. Which... Oh, and he's also, I mean, not to spoiler, but he's the villain in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Nice. So, yeah. But yeah, and I was like, yeah, all right, Amanda Pay, sweet. And we'll leave it there. Yep. All right. <laughs> yeah. So what happens next with this mysterious Phoebe Green? Yeah, so they're back at FBI headquarters, and Mulder is looking at images of a charred body. And Phoebe tells them that there was an assassin who likes to burn his victims alive, but they can't figure out how he does it because they can't find any trace of anything that would start the fire. And so the latest victim was actually killed in his front yard with his lovely young wife watching him as he died. So, and that was the intro, obviously. Right. So the killer also apparently sends like love letters to the victim's wives before he tries to kill them. And Mrs. Mardson, who is the wife of Sir Malcolm Mardson, one month ago got a letter, this little love letter thing. And then apparently like their, their garage burned down like a couple weeks ago, mysteriously. So they have now since come to Cape Cod to escape the killer, hoping that the killer doesn't follow them until Scotland Yard can find him. Right. So Phoebe has decided to come to DC for some reason to have Mulder help out because this is a three pipe problem. And so he says, okay, I'll run it by our arson specialist, which I'm, they don't have arson specialist in the UK. Apparently. I don't know. So Phoebe leaves and Scully gives her a little wave like, Ta-ta. <laughs> yeah. Scully's just like, I don't, I don't think Scully even knows what to think. <laughs> um, and by the way, Malcolm Marsden is the name of the show's chief hairdresser. So that's where they got that name. Yeah, and in one of many references to Sherlock Holmes, that's what the three-pipe problem is for yes. the Red-Headed League. Because so, it's a really difficult question, really difficult problem, and so it requires three pipes. Right. Yeah. It took me a minute because at first I was thinking about the three-body problem in physics where it's very you can't figure out how bodies will behave because when you have three bodies, like the laws of like action and reaction tend to go a little haywire. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about that, but it's actually three-pipe, and so it's Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Chris Carter has a thing for Sherlock Holmes as well. Yeah, which makes sense. A lot of people did in the 80s and 90s. I mean, now even, I guess he's very popular again. So, yeah. And so, actually, after she's gone, Scully does ask about the three pipe thing. And Mulder's like, oh, yeah, it's a Sherlock Holmes reference. And it's kind of an in joke between us. And Scully kind of digs a little and she's trying to figure out what their relationship was, especially because Mulder's just like, happy to drop everything to like help her on this case which is you know not usually like Mulder usually Mulder is doing his own thing mm-hmm. and so Mulder's like oh, I'm gonna go run this by the artisan guys and then Phoebe's on her own like I'm not really gonna do that much and Scully's like yeah I don't think you're gonna get rid of her that easily yeah and she's she's ribbing him and he's like I'm just extending a hand to a colleague and she's like oh is that what you were extending <laughs> like oh scully oh my god whoa See, holy like, moly <laughs> i know that some, there are some we'll get to some of the issues in this episode but i do like chris carter's dialogue like i always i think he writes really great dialogue well we'll see if that's chris carter's dialogue yes that's we won't, true we won't, act, we won't actually know for sure but but yeah. i do i do get the feeling he does have a very specific voice that seems to come up when he's writing Mulder and Scully and that sounds like him to me. Yeah, I was like, man, woo, Scully went blue. <laughs> man, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they go to the arson guy. He's Agent Beatty. 
Yes. And he's very, he's like, he's like <laughs> fondling the screen of the, of the fire. He's like, oh, this is gorgeous. I oh know. My God. <laughs> yeah. He's like very excited to look at these gruesome photos. He's a man like, who loves his job. Like he loves his job. Yeah. So we have park ranger Pete and we have the cemetery caretaker <laughs> and we have deadpan metal examiner. And now we have fire freak Beatty. And like, <laughs> There was definitely a show there to be had, and it's like a total missed opportunity. Oh, totally. Although, although Biddy does have a little creepy, like male gaze a couple times in the episode, but yeah, yeah but he's a good. He's, he's funny good though. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, "So what was the incendiary device?" And Phoebe says it was the victim's body, and he's like, "Spontaneous combustion." And so he points out that usually there's an accelerant, though they need something to actually like the human body can burn, but you need something to ignite it. Like, right. The human body won't ignite. Right. It will burn, but it won't ignite. And that's where she says, like, there's been no trace of one. They haven't been able to find anything. And so he's talking about some fires they've had in Seattle and Philadelphia that have burned like at 7000 degrees and might be rocket fuel because it burns so clean that you really can't find it. It's just burned so fast and so hot. It basically annihilates everything. Right. So then Mulder asks about pyrokinesis, which is a person control fire with their minds. And... Beatty is kind of like, mm, like he's he's excited, like he he kind of has some interest in spontaneous combustion. Yes, but I think pyrokinesis is a, is like a bridge too far for him, <laughs> and so he's like fire like has a mind of its own, like it behaves like, but it never defies the laws of physics. Right, like it, it, it'll I've seen it go around corners and do all kinds of stuff. You just have to figure out why it's doing what it's doing, but it never defies physics. So right, yeah. Yeah, Fire Freak Beatty. End <laughs> I mean, of the list. He's definitely an interesting character. And for this episode, I think he's one of the better side characters. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, for this episode, yeah, he's the better side character. Yes. So then we get to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And we see a man painting a room in a house. and With a uh, jet fuel. Is that what he's painting with? Yeah, he has he has two cans, and one of them is paint, and one of them is jet fuel. Oh man, I didn't even notice yeah. that. I knew that yeah. he was probably not painting paint, but no, yeah, so he's, he's, well, like, he's, well, he's kind of mixing the two together, which yeah. would be like paint thinner. So he must be just having a little bit because I mean it would be it would be like a thinner, right? Yeah. And so he's looking out the window, and he sees this family pull up with a moving truck. And so he kind of lights a cigarette all ominously. And then he's downstairs. Suddenly he's greeting the family and he tells them he's Bob the caretaker, <laughs> which yeah. to be honest, just sounds like a fake name. And the Marsdens think he's a nice fellow. And so then the kids are outside playing a little later and Bob like starts yelling at the dog. Cause they have this little dog with them. And the dog's like in this corner of the yard by some trees. And he's like, yelling at it and i think he kicks it does he kick oh, he it? totally kicks it yeah he okay. kicks it and says he'll skin it and then we see that the dog was like digging up a human body that's buried in the ground because like there's his hand sticking up and he yeah. just looks at the dog and goes i'm the caretaker now so obviously he has murdered the actual caretaker and taken yeah, their name place. may or may not have been bob who knows know. yeah which he obviously is not good at burying bodies because it's super shallow grave yeah he is good at lighting cigarettes though because you did not mention that when he lights that cigarette he puts it in his mouth and it just boom it just lights by itself it's true and it flames up kind of more than a cigarette yeah. normally should yeah um and by the way this is mark shepherd who if you watch supernatural you'll know him as crowley he actually he looks younger here and so i saw mark shepherd's name on the credits 
but it did take me a minute to connect him with Mark Shepard because like I was like oh because he does look like him it's just that he is a little older now and his face has gotten a little rounder and I think frankly he looks better on Supernatural than he did when he was younger well it what is I've never seen Supernatural. I'm starting to think maybe I should watch it because I've been seeing a lot of stuff about it recently. But like, because it just ended and it ran it for just like ended. Okay. 18 so, seasons or something. Yeah, so we're so we are talking like 25 years basically, probably. Yeah, oh, it's been a long in between. time. So yeah, he would be older. Yeah, and um, and I only watched like the first six seasons of Supernatural, but he plays Crowley, who is a demon on the show. I was gonna say, are we talking like the Crowley, like Alistair Crowley? No, he's a demon, but he's a very popular okay. character because he's. He's not necessary. He's not a good guy, but like he's the kind of bad guy that will like sometimes help the good guys out if it's in his self interest. Oh, okay. So he's like the uh, the the anti hero demon. Yeah. So maybe not anti hero, but like, or at least in the six seasons of Supernatural that I saw, six or seven, I stopped somewhere around there. But anyway, yeah. So if you like Supernatural, here's Mark Shepard. Okay. But yeah, he totally kicked the dog. He did. And honestly, given what's going on in this episode, I can only imagine they actually didn't have him burn the dog to a crisp because one, let's not alienate every single person watching the show by burning right. the dog alive. And two, they probably couldn't figure out how to do it without making it look like crap. Right. It would be hard to do. It would just look like you were burning like a stuffed animal or. Because like, that's what they would have to do basically. Yeah. Because like, you're not going to put like a dog in like a full flame suit like you do with a stunt man and have them catch on fire and roll around and move. It's like that. So. Right. Yeah. And then we get another one of these things because when they first come in the building and they're going up the stairs, there's a painting on the wall and it looks like the wife who is very similar looking to the wife in the opening, not right. the same person, but it's that the young blonde, although this guy isn't like old, he's, you know, probably about the same age as the wife. So not as, not as stereotypical of like some old lordly dude and, you know, pretty young wife, but he's like, Oh, darling, this photo looks like it could be you. But, like, nothing's ever done with that. But then they show it a few times in the episode. But they never explain what's going on. Like, is it supposed to be, like, he painted it because he's a creepy bastard and, like, did it himself? Yeah. So or you'll is know- it, like, a dark shadows thing and she's, like, reincarnated? I don't have no idea what's going on. Right. And you'll notice that, like, I didn't put the painting in my, like, I usually write an episode recap that we like use to like kind of put our notes in around mm-hmm. and I didn't put that in at all because like when it first came up, I'm like, is that going to be something? And so I didn't really, I was waiting for it to be something. And then they do focus yeah. on it later, but it never comes up as like what this painting is, where it came from, what it's supposed to be. And so I just didn't, I just kind of yeah, ignored it's it. A little, so like, it's a little bit like the whole like today is worth two tomorrows right. in shadows. Like, why is this here? Like you so, keep focusing on it, but you don't tell me what the point is. And now that you brought it up, I think maybe he did paint it because as we get into his thing later, that makes sense. But it was, it didn't seem to do anything. So I just kind of ignored it. <laughs> well, and that would, when we get to the scene where this is going to come up, there is something else that makes me think that maybe he painted it. Only because, and this, what I'm thinking might actually be just a coincidence is not actually true, but there's something that happens. Okay. Well, maybe not happens, but there's something that is shown on screen that I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. I had to go back and rewind it a couple of times. Well, not rewind it. I'm like watching on, you know, I'm not like rewinding my cassette, but I went back a couple of times and watched it. It's and still called a fully rewinding. Clear shot. Is it? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't get a clear, but it's close enough where I'm like, it might have been meant to be that way. And we just don't get enough 
visual right. to confirm it. So we'll get there when it comes up again. But yeah, that is it is a weird little detail that just sort of is there. Yeah. So we're apparently back at FBI headquarters because Mulder comes back into his office and Scully's like, is the game afoot? And he tells her, it is, but you're off the hook. I'm not going to make you deal with this because she's crazy and I don't want to put you through that. And then we find out that Mulder is apparently terrified of fire. Yeah. So that never came up when they're like dealing with motels that are on fire and stuff like that. But he apparently is terrified of fire. It scares him to death. So Mulder's afraid of fire. Okay. So we know what's going on here. We've got the episode named fire. We have Mulder's old flame <laughs> and he's afraid of fire. Yes. So Phoebe also knows that he's afraid of fire. And Scully asked if he's sure that he doesn't want her help. And he's like, Nope, I just have to face my demons. Cause he's like, Leave it to Phoebe. Like she'll just come ten years out of the blue and drop a case like this on me because right. he, she knows that he's afraid of fire. So she drops right. a case that has to do with fire on him. So yeah, and I wouldn't say that I'm like. I mean, I'm afraid of fire the way that anybody is afraid of fire. Like if the fire alarm in my building goes off, I like chuck my cats in a carrier and run downstairs. That kind of thing, like you're supposed to do. But like when I was a kid, I watched this show called I think it was This Old House. And they had an episode where, like, the laundry room caught fire because of, like, oily rags. And that scared me so bad. I had nightmares for years about, like, being in a house that was burning or burning a house. So, like, so is this, I relate to Mulder on this. Is it this old house on PBS? Or, like, were they, like, rebuilding it? No, it maybe down? it was called okay. Our House. It okay. was, like, a show. It was, like, a family show or something. Because, like, this old house was, like, the carpentry. Okay, it wasn't like, this old house then. Yeah, okay. It might have been Our House. Anyway, it was a name okay. like that. I don't remember what the show was, but okay. I, remember the, I remember that episode very vividly. And I think Wilford Brimley was in it. Anyway, oh, I'll have to okay. look this up, see if I can find oh, okay. it. But okay. <laughs> anyway, their house were down. And that gave me nightmares for years. And so, like, I kind of, like, I don't have, like, a massive fire phobia any more than any normal person yeah, you know. I'm actually more fearful of water, yeah. but that's because I'm unbreakable. But I do like that they're giving Mulder some like some depth and some like I'm scared of things too. I'm not just a yeah. fearless guy who runs into things. From what I saw, it apparently never comes up again. <laughs> so Well, yes. you know, at least we know something about him, I guess. Yeah. So then we cut to the kitchen of this manor house in Cape Cod where they're staying. I keep calling it a manor house. I don't know what to call it. It's like a nice-ish, nice house. It's not like a mansion, but it's not like, it's big. It's probably got like six or seven bedrooms. Like it's, it's big. Yeah. The kids were like, oh my God, it's such a beautiful house. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. And Miss Marsden's making tea and Bob, the groundskeeper with quotes around it is like outside looking through the window and he's staring like super lasciviously like it's so it's, it's kind yeah of gross. he is a creepy mofo faux show right yes yeah he's like and they keep getting like and of course we so we get like the lingering camera shots on like her backside and on her, yeah. her hips and on her chest and yeah. she's wearing like a nice form-fitting dress while she's making the tea oh so, so disgusting yeah 
not that she's disgusting just that he's like watching her and being gross about it and yeah she doesn't know she's being watched that's what's disgusting yeah no he is yeah he is creepy and so then he hears coughing so he like goes around the side of the building and he finds the driver who is with their car and apparently the driver just stands ready <laughs> with the car so, I mean, that's what drivers do that's all they, <laughs> they're only allowed to drive so if they're not driving they got to stand by the car in case so, uh, he might be drive. outside because he's smoking i'm not sure and he's coughing and smoking and so like bob the groundskeeper borrows a cigarette he bums a cigarette and then he's like i'm going into town can i get you anything and the guy's like yeah could you some lozenges i'm having this cough well, he and, actually asked if he wants syrup or lozenges, and the dude says he syrup will be fine. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what it yeah. is. Yeah. And then we cut to in town, and Bob is at a bar, and he has a bag of liquor, and he's sitting at the bar with yeah, his bag I think of liquor. that's actually supposed to be the cough syrup that we see later. Okay. I think. Okay, yeah. you know what? That makes sense. Because then this woman sits next to him and she starts like flirting and she's mm-hmm. like, hey, you can't bring your own liquor in here. Ha ha ha. So maybe that is like what yeah. it is and so she pulls out a cigarette and he's like you want a light and he like flicks up his finger and this little flame dances to life on his finger which is cool and she's like oh that's a great trick and so she kind of turns around and she's like hey you guys got to see this cool trick this guy can do and when she turns back around his whole arm is engulfed in flame and he's just la- yeah. like smiling and he's like care for a light and then he sets the whole bar on fire. Like he puts his hand down on the bar. And yeah, the he like bar, slams like, his hand down on the bar and the bar just goes whoosh. Erupts into flame. Yeah. Yeah. So. The dude like finally has a chance to maybe actually be with a woman instead of just like stroking his cigarette. But no, he's got to be like creepy arson dude and burn a whole bar down. Right. Like, which if you're trying to lay low, not, not a great strategy. Yeah. Chris Carter. Come on. Not a great strategy. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So we cut to Boston Mercy Hospital. Surprise, surprise. We just had a place burned down and now we're at the hospital. So Mulder and Phoebe are there and Mulder is telling Phoebe about the fire in the bar as they walk through the hospital. Like it apparently was across the street from the fire department, but it was burned to the ground before the firefighters could even get there. Right. So they're there to visit the woman who had flirted with Bob. And she, she's got her arms wrapped up. So she must've got like some burns, like trying to get out of the building or something like that. But she tells him what happened and Mulder asks if she could work with a composite artist. And she's like, you know, she's already talked to the cops and she doesn't want to really want to get involved because like she's living with someone. And she told that person that she was at school, but she wasn't at school. She was at the bar. Right. So she doesn't really want to, you know, and so Mulder's like, you know, that's fine. We can, you know, discretion whatever but you know we can work around that whatever we're gonna leave and we'll let you think about it and so he walks away and phoebe kind of compliments him on you know like oh like you, you kind of just like you know override her discretions let her know that's fine and so you know you endear her to you and then they're talking about stuff and she tries to flirt and then he wants to stick to the case so then she gets all oh why are you so mean Mulder? and she's playing him like a violin and then you know, he apologizes and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, whatever. And they go back and talk to the lady. And she's like, yeah, she'll help them. And then she's like, oh, by the way, I remember he had an English accent. Yeah. So, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, and like, which, he... I don't, which I don't <laughs> think he had when he introduced himself as Bob, the groundskeeper to the family. 
No, well, he he's trying not to be English with the family, right? They think, okay, they but think then naturally the he is, so he was yeah. so he was doing that. I mean, the actor himself actually is like yeah, Mark Shepard is. But yeah. I think he's pretending to be this American groundskeeper around them, which is why the accent is uh, okay. Or he's All trying right. to. He's not great at it. So we got um, some <laughs> by dialectic action going on in this episode. And then right. Phoebe is like. When Mulder's like, he makes that comment, the defender, she's like, you know, 10 years is long enough to forgive and forget. And it's like, dude, yeah. like, what? she comes on. I mean, it's fine to come on strong. There's nothing wrong with going after what you want. Do it. But like Mulder keeps like he's very clear this whole time that he's only interested in like working on the case. And she just keeps trying to push that. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he's just like. And then he's like, oh, OK, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm not trying to. Offend yeah, you. yeah just, he just totally caves because it's like. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we cut back to the manor house, and the driver's sick, and he's coughing up a storm. And for some reason, Bob's in his room, which I don't know why he's there. He's fluffing his pillows. Yeah, Bob's pretty hands on, yeah. and he looks like he's miserable. He is taking care because he is a caretaker. <laughs> and so the driver looks super miserable. He leaves, and Bob's like, "Maybe it's the cough syrup." And like, yeah. which totally implies he's done something to it. Dun, dun, dun. And then we see like the open bottle of cough syrup sitting on the dresser. Right. Yeah. It probably has rocket fuel in it. Ooh. I'm willing to bet. Probably. I'm willing to bet. Yeah. So then we're back at FBI headquarters again in Washington, D.C. And Scully is working alone. And so this is going to answer maybe one of the questions we had because she's in Mulder's office, but they have apparently knocked a wall out. Because now she's got a desk in there. Okay. And office is way bigger. And she's sitting at her own desk in what must be their office now. Yeah, I was so, trying to figure out if she had her own office. Because when they walk into Mulder's, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, I don't know. I couldn't. Yeah. I think well, that I was taking notes said, it's going to get confusing tell. again here in a little bit. Because she's sitting at that desk working on stuff. And it's definitely Mulder's office. But it's not Mulder's desk. Because Mulder's desk is actually in the background. Right. So there's another desk in there now and the room is way bigger and she's sitting there working at it. And then she kind of like starts looking through some of the files that are sitting on the desk and she notices there, there's a lack of accelerant in the fires and that all the victims burned in safe surroundings in front of their families. So it turns out she ends up writing a quick profile, which when she's writing the profile, she's not in the office that she may be sharing with Mulder anymore. She's actually in like, another office which is like really clean and has a window and has blinds and like has a desktop home? computer no because there's guys walking around in the background okay and then the one guy comes in with the information for her so oh, she's right at, okay so she's, yeah, in, so an she's office. in she's in the office but it's not where she just was so i don't know if she has two offices and they just put another desk in Mulder's office so they can work together i have no idea what's going on here but anyway so she writes a profile saying like she believes the arsonist is a male probably in his late 20s early 30s he's acting on an impulse to satisfy sexual urges and he kills to compensate for his inadequacies right and while we get scully's narration about the profile we actually have cut to the manor house and bob is painting a swing set with his paint magic and the kids are playing and he's like hey do you guys want to see a magic trick and so they come over and he it's kind of creepy because he makes them promise not to tell under penalty of death. Mm-hmm. A lot of like, you're like, what is he going to do to these kids? But he makes a cigarette disappear in his hand and then he pulls it out of his ear. When it pulls it out of his ear, it's lit. But, and they're like, yeah, it's a cool magic trick. Whoa. <laughs> 
yeah, full of British accents. Yeah. So. And then Scully approaches Beatty and she's like, she asks about the rocket fuel theory and she asks if he could put the fuel into like a hand cream or something because she's trying to figure out how this arsonist is working. And paint maybe? Yeah, paint. Beatty says like you could, but it's it's pretty like, what does he say? It's like oily and like it's hard to like, it's, you know, it has a smell and so it'd be hard not to detect, but it's yeah, possible. But it, and it only takes a little bit to burn. Right. But, he, but he's like, you still would need to find a way to ignite it. Yes, exactly. So then we cut back to Bob and he's doing magic tricks and he asked the boys if they want to take a puff of his cigarette or a cigarette. He like has three that are lit like in between his fingers. Yeah. And one of them is like, no, but then the other kid is like tempted and like kind of reaches for it. But then mom comes out. And so, you know, that kills that whole plan, whatever that plan was. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. And then she's like, hey, our driver's ill, but we have a party we have to be at in Boston. Would you be willing to drive us? Like, we'll pay you extra. Like, she's super nice about it. And he kind of agrees. And then as they walk away, we get more of Scully's voiceover. And she says the arsonist is probably an unmarried man. And his fire setting results from his inability to develop real relationships. And she suggests he probably followed the Marsdens to the U.S., and she thinks he'll strike again. And so then she decides to go to immigration to try and get information about who might have come from that area recently so she can get like a list of names of possible. Yeah, suspects. and while and while this voiceover is going over, we like he's doing that like super like penetrating gaze watching like the mom walk away with the right. kids. Yeah. So, it's yeah. creepy. So then Mulder and Phoebe are walking and it's raining and they both got their umbrellas and Mulder's explaining his pyrokinetic theory. And Phoebe's like, that sounds like that could be possible. Yeah. And Mulder's like, whoa, like, I'm not used to people like accepting my crazy ideas, like right off the bat. Right. And she mentions that the family has a bodyguard, their driver, and that the family has a party to attend in Boston that night. So like, cause he's saying like, you know, maybe we need to make sure there's extra protection. And she's like, well, they've got this guy that they've worked with for eight years and he's a driver, but he's also like, you know, a trained bodyguard and they're probably good, but they do have a party in Boston that's actually being thrown in their behalf for coming to the States apparently. And so he thinks that maybe they could use the party to set a trap. And so she's like, great idea. I got <laughs> us a room for the night at the party. Did she get them a room or did she get them well, both separate well, rooms? What she says is she's like, we could set the party as a trap. And then she's like, I have a room there at the hotel. Okay. She doesn't specify, but I think the, the implication is that it's a room for, them yeah so yeah yeah she's not i don't know she's pretty i mean you know she knows what she wants i guess right yeah <laughs> so then we cut to the venable plaza hotel and it's 5 15 p.m and Mulder arrives at his hotel room and he gets a phone call on his mobile phone and it's scully and she has information about the arsonist identification and so she wants to meet with him and she's like i'm gonna come up can i come up and he's like no i've got my hands full right now then we kind of cut to the party and Mulder's wearing a very nice tuxedo, which I guess he rented. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to guess. Yeah. There's a reimbursement form incoming for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Phoebe arrives with the family and she's wearing a very fancy dress and Mulder is, I guess, waiting in like a side room, like outside the party, maybe to keep watch to see who's coming in and out. Mm -hmm. And so Phoebe goes up to him and she's like, hey, do you want to dance or whatever? And like, well, they dance. She's like, you know, I thought about you often. And just, <laughs> Scully kind of arrives at this moment. 
and they're dancing and she kind of walks up and then she like stops and then like takes steps back and she's yeah. like clearly doesn't want to interrupt and while she's waiting for like an opening she sees this man lurking in the hallway and we know it's bob the groundskeeper and he kind of smiles at her like kind of awkwardly creepily i would probably say yeah, yeah. it's kind of creepy and then yeah. she looks away and then she looks back and he's like magically gone and then she notices in this like fancy hallway there's like a fire alarm panel and she noticed there's a light blinking on the 14th floor and so she's like there's a fire and so she like tells phoebe and Mulder, and phoebe's like the 14th floor that's where the children are so then they like run to do stuff yeah so as someone who has worked in like hotels and like there's like there's like the public facing side of the hotel and there's the non-public facing side of the right. hotel, the back of the house. So that that hallway, I'm willing to bet, is probably a hallway that's normally not used for like guests. It's probably like for transporting food and that kind of stuff through. Right. Because like when she comes out of the ballroom to see Mulder, the doors are gigantic for like wheeling like you no know, big things through, like you know furniture and what have you. Right. And so like that panel being there is probably normal yeah that, that like would make only, sense. only staff would see it but still the fact that like as we'll see later like no one in the hotel knows that the place is on fire at all like apparently there's only that one panel and scoldy was the only person paying attention to it because no one else knows anything about there being a fire right so yeah so they run to get the kids scully's running around letting bellhops know there's a fire alarm and she actually is running through like the hallway near the elevator going like there's a fire on the 14th floor. And I'm like, Scully, like first amendment. Yeah. But come on, dude, you're like yelling fire anyway. <laughs> so Mulder well, they're actually, dealing with a really dangerous arsonist. So, I mean, that's fair. You want that's people true, out, but yeah, but Mulder actually runs up 14 flights of stairs. He's yes. a little winded when he gets there, but man, good job, dude. All that right. running is paying off. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets up there and he's like, huh. so one, he's a little bit out of breath because he just ran up 14 flights of stairs. Right. But also he's like, fire so he puts his hand against the door and it's we're assuming it's probably like it's hot right we're guessing we don't get that but he takes deep breath and he opens it and we see this flame coming from one of the rooms which is like the same scene we get like repeatedly so that's like the only place there's fire at the moment and it's super smoky so he gets down on his hands and knees and he's crawling towards the flame because we hear the kids like and he starts to get there but then he starts to like freeze right because it's fire he's scared death of fire and so like he realizes it's freezing so he's like i'm not gonna make this i gotta get back so he starts to turn back and he can't breathe he's coughing and then he kind of like crumps to the floor and as he does that we see someone run past and with both kids like under their arms doo, 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 doo. and then we see firefighters running up the stairs and they run down the hallway and they're like oh we got a man down and they grab Mulder, they pull him out of the hallway and then while they're doing that the elevator doors open downstairs Bing. and it's Bob and he's got the kids and it was like yeah you're a hero congratulating him da, da, da. and like Phoebe shakes his hand good job young man da, 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 da. and everyone's all commending him for it and then Scully's like that's the guy that I just saw and then she turns around and sees the firefighters bring Mulder and they slump him against the wall and he's got like an oxygen mask he's all <gasps> and she's like oh my god Mulder so she goes over to him because Mulder's in trouble right so yeah so this guy saved the kids what a hero yay mm -hmm. yeah so i it's like is that like his way to get in with the wife maybe even though he's 
gonna mess it up because he's inept but yeah i don't know yeah i don't know it's kind of weird anyway <laughs> so then we're in Mulder's room and he's coughing and he's like just woken up and so scully shirtless. gives him he is shirtless he's he apparently sleeps shirtless and he scully gives him some water she's like sitting on the bed on the side of the bed and she's like wow you were really out so we don't know how long it's been but obviously he slept for a while and she asks, like, what happened up there? And Mulder's just like, I panicked. And he's, like, really mad at himself. So he, like, gets out of bed and he starts, like, putting on clothes or whatever. And Scully's like, hey, what do you know about this driver who saved the kids? And Phoebe, like, opens the door at that moment. So it must be, like, a shared room. And she hears Scully's question. So she's like, well, I did a background check on everyone who was traveling with the Marsons and everyone who was going to be here. And everyone checked out. And this guy is totally clean. And he was watching the kids. And Scully's like, well, he can't have been watching the kids that well because I saw him downstairs in the hall right before the fire broke out. And we learned that the kids are fine, but the family has decided that now that this has happened in America, they're going to go ahead and return to England. And so Phoebe will also be leaving in like a couple days. Yeah, and we're going to find out there's a little bit of confusion about who the driver is right. coming up here when we're saying the driver. But right, well, because we that. know that the actual driver was the guy he was giving cough syrup, and this is Bob, right. the groundskeeper, but now he's posing as the driver. Right, and so when some people are saying the driver, some people are thinking about one person, and other people are thinking about another person. So right. there's a little disconnect there about who the driver actually is. Right. So after Phoebe leaves, Mulder sits down with his robe, and he's kind of sits down and she's like well do you want to hear about the stuff that i came all the way up here to show you and he kind of chuckles and like yeah so he's in a little bit better spirits and so she ran a profile of possible accelerants and has a list of that and then she also ran a list through interpol of all the staff that work for the people and they're like 200 names she's like all oh, these these people don't even like tie their own shoes and right. so many staff and there's not a single duplicate except for one cecil lively and he was questioned by Scotland Yard and was like, let go. Nothing came to it. So she apparently dug a little further than Scotland Yard and find out that Cecil Lively actually died in 1971 in a tenement fire in London. But then the name also pops up with an apostrophe. It's like L apostrophe Ivy as a kid who was killed as part of a satanic murder ritual where a bunch of kids were killed by fire in 1963 in Toddington Wood. But then also, a passport with that name was stamped two weeks ago in Boston. So Mulder's like, oh my God, like, try and get the, the artist sketch that we got from the lady at the bar and get that faxed over, and I got to go find Phoebe because that guy could be waiting for them in Cape Cod. So we get a very casual reference to some satanic murders in England in the 60s. Okay, there is some weirdness going on, though. And of course, you know how I am with the details, right? <laughs> so she's like, it was in, it really sounds like she's saying Tottingham, like Tottingham, right? right? That's how you spell it. Wood outside a bath. But there is no Tottingham. It, that doesn't exist. But there is a Tottington wood. But that is actually like 125 miles from Bath. And it wouldn't be Tottenham. Because she would know how to say that because we've talked about before. She's by dialectic. She can do British accent and American accent because she grew up in both places. And that's actually like 90 miles from Bath and like 75 miles from Toddington Wood. But it really sounds like she's saying Toddington. So I'm not sure if this is like just a made up place that they did or what. I mean, they got they got Bossom right. 
So I think it's probably that, supposed to be but... a made-up place because there probably are no real satanic murders, so they're just making up like something that sounds. Yeah, I mean, they did have a in the sixties. There was some satanic stuff going on. In, like, oh yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know in particular those woods. I kind of did the cursory research. Well, mainly I trying to. I was trying to find out the place because based on what she said, and I'm like, okay, well that place doesn't exist. So we're going to be <laughs> like, oh okay, so Tottenham, like because it's a football club in Tottenham. So I was like, but she would know how to say that because she's she can speak british and so she wouldn't say <laughs> toddy british well you know what i'm saying i know what you mean <laughs> yeah she can speak british and so i'm like but she it's like but she didn't say toddington she said toddy him so i'm like oh, okay so yeah but anyway so yeah my, i don't my, know i got i kind of got sidetracked from satanic murders to like <laughs> where are they supposed to, where it was supposed to happen like what's this name and apparently i'm thinking they just made something up that yeah was, like, i think probably <laughs> similar enough to other stuff so yeah anyway and there we have our Nick Pick section. For <laughs> There's probably going to be some more later in this episode. That's okay. It's one of those episodes, but yeah. Um, so The details get me. I can't help it. <laughs> so then Scully's like on the phone and she's like, yeah, I was supposed to get this fax forever ago. It hasn't come through. And then finally it does. And it looks like Bob, which is the man that Scully knows as the driver for the Marsdens, which is Bob the groundskeeper. And which we know is maybe Cecil, maybe Bob. Yeah. Right. So she tries to call Mulder and his phone is out of the service area because he does have a mobile phone. He has used it in episodes before, but I am just surprised that he even has one in 93. But I no. guess like... It's been getting more and more use in more recent episodes too. I, th- I actually think he might have had it in pilot because I, I need to go back because there's a part in pilot where they're at the scene of the crime where Billy's girlfriend gets hit by the truck. And they said, and then they find out that the motel is on fire. And I don't remember how they find out that the I think he does have a phone. Yeah. So I don't but know if I'm, like a fireman tells him or if he had the phone. So I think but. it was the phone. But, and you know, I'm sure like they were pretty expensive, but you know, FBI, he probably writes it off. Yeah. And he, and and, he used it in squeeze and yeah. Yeah. So. But I imagine the batteries lasted like five minutes and your service was probably like so spotty because there weren't really cell towers. So it was kind of like. Yeah, well, obviously it is sporadic. because she couldn't get through to him because right. she's out of service. So yeah, so she couldn't get through to him. So then she's like, "Oh crap!" Well, now I have to drive up there. And so she yeah, leaves. her watch when she's waiting for the she's on the phone talking to them about the facts, and they show her watch, and she's got one of those watches that has like the analog hands, but then also has a little digital thing at the bottom where it tells you what the time is. The analog part says it's four oh five, and the digital part says it's four twenty two. Huh. It's weird. I was I was looking for a date is what I was really looking for, <laughs> and I, then I like like looked at the facts when it came through, and there's not a date on the facts either. It's like a file, like an FBI file number, but there's no date. I was like, Aww. give me a date, give me a date, but no, no. Turn it. Well, you try. Yeah. yeah. So Mulder pulls up to the house um, in Sally Kendrick's light blue 1993 Corolla. <laughs> I, know, I was like, hey, that's the Corolla that she had when she uh, kidnapped Cindy. So anyway, Bob slash Cecil is watching from a window. And Mulder bursts in, and for some reason, like, Phoebe and Mr. Mardson are, like, smooching on the stairs. I don't know why this is in the episode. I, I guess maybe know. to, like, maybe to give a Mulder a nice clean break with her somehow. But it's like, okay, whatever. So Mulder's like, the arsonist is actually Cecil Lively. And he tells her the family needs to pack up and get out because he's here and we need to find him. So Phoebe goes to get them and get everybody out and Cecil's watching from the window. He's watching from the window and sees like Phoebe and the mom and the kids running back into the house because apparently they were outside. Yeah. 
So. They were outside, so Phoebe and Mr. Marsden could make out on the stairs. Oh, yeah, convenient. That's, what, that's why they were, yeah. Uh, smoochy, smoochy which I guess is to give Mulder even more of a reason not to... But he has shown yeah. zero interest so far in anything related to, like, getting back yeah. with her. And they have the, like, chemistry of wilted lettuce together. Like, they don't have chemistry. Yeah, there was apparently some stuff in the script that was more emotional that I think it sounds like they filmed it, but then they cut it because it didn't seem to work right. And it wouldn't fit in like, they couldn't fit it into the episode. Right. So I don't know like what we're seeing, but yeah, no, it's just not working. Yeah. So anyway, Scully arrives and she's like, it's the driver. And she's like, yay, I solved it. And Mulder's like, yeah, we know the driver disappeared. So he's obviously the guilty party. Yeah. So again, we're getting that confusion about who right. the driver actually is. So what yeah. happens is Scully shows them the composite because to Mulder and Scully, the driver is the guy who saved the kids, which is Bob, right. the caretaker. And to the Marsdens, the driver is the guy who had the cough and was too sick to drive them. Right. So Scully shows them the composite. And they're like, that's not the driver. That's Bob, the caretaker. And so then they're and like, then, oh, crap. Like, yeah, then everyone's like, oh, my God. Yeah, he's upstairs with the children. <laughs> right. So then they run upstairs and they find, they go into the driver's room, they find his body burned and it's like yeah. in the bathroom and it's, he's like leaning over the toilet and it like charred to a crisp. Yeah. He's been missing for like possibly days. Well. He, he worked for them for eight years and everyone says like the driver's gone missing. No one looks for him. Yeah, so that's weird because, like, obviously he was alive when he told them, presumably that day, or depending on how long Mulder slept the day before, that he was, like, too sick. So he was alive, and then Bob obviously killed him probably before they left for the party. But, yeah, the fact that he's gone missing and they haven't even checked his private bathroom is a little weird. Yeah, and we get another shot of the cough syrup on the dresser. Right. So as a and kid, then like, oh, that's why he's dead. There's some like chaos. And so they run into another bedroom and like the paintings burst into flames and the bed explodes and Scully's there with the Marsdens and they're trying to get out of the room and Mulder has a towel and he's trying to like beat the flames down. And then he like smells the towel and he realizes there's fuel on it. So he puts the towel down, he drops it. And then he's like, I think the whole house is like rigged to like go up in flame. Yeah. They're standing in the room and like, they're like, they just burst into flames like the curtains burst into flame and then like the bed burst into flame and then like the paintings are bursting into flames and they're just like oh oh get the hell out of the room what are you doing people <laughs> but the painting over the bed that burst into flame i went back and looked at it because you get a really quick look at it before it bursts into flame it looks a little bit like phoebe Oh, interesting. And I don't know if that's coincidence or not, because it's just a dark-haired woman with, like, short hair and, you know, kind of thing. But I was like, oh, is he, like, fixating on her, too? And so that's another painting that maybe he did. So, yeah. Again, I don't know where the paintings are coming from, because we're going to get shots when the house is on fire of this painting that looks like the wife that magically doesn't catch on fire again, which is like, ooh, it's spooky painting, but nothing to ever know on it. So Yeah. Yeah, so the kids are still upstairs with... Cecil, Bob, whatever you want to call him, Bob Soul. And Mulder tells Scully to get a fire extinguisher and that everyone else needs to get outside and he'll go get the kids. Scully's like, Are you sure you can get the kids because fire? He's like, I'll <laughs> handle it. So we hear the dog barking. And so Mulder runs up there and the kids are screaming for help and the dog's barking behind the door and he tries to get the door open, but it's locked. And then Cecil is at the end of the hallway and he snaps his fingers. And the hallway poof, bursts in the flame. 
And so Cecil stands around and does a maniacal laugh for a little bit. <laughs> and we do actually get some cool, unlike the hotel fire where we got really bad fire footage, we actually get some really cool fire footage in this. We one. do. Like, the, like yeah. the rolling fire on the ceiling, stuff like that. It's a cool effect. So, yeah. So Cecil leaves and Mulder's like on the floor, like trying to walk around. And Cecil's coming downstairs and Scully's like, FBI, freeze. And he just keeps coming down the stairs. He's like, huh. And there's like a little jump. It's like, you won't shoot me because you don't know if the spark from that gun won't blow the whole house up. So he's got his accent back now. <laughs> and he keeps coming towards her. And then Phoebe, like, throws something at him. She's like, Agent Scully, it's the accelerant. So she, like, hits him with the jar of accelerant because they found the accelerant. And actually, when the family came out, Mulder had it, and he, like, hid it behind the family. Not to worry them, apparently. But she had it, and so she throws it at him. He's like, ah. And then meanwhile, Mulder's upstairs, and the ceiling's on fire, but he conquers his fear, and he gets up, and he breaks the door down, and he saves the kids. And we're going to assume the dog, too. Like, yeah, the dog probably like just hauled like soon as that door opened, dog probably just hauled butt and like beat everybody outside. I hope so because we don't see the dog again, and that is very concerning. I feel like showrunners need to understand you need to show us the pets are safe. Show us yeah. the pets are okay, please. But we're gonna assume because we heard the dog. We heard the dog barking in there. <laughs> right. the kids are safe. I'm sure like soon as Mulder busts through that door, that dog probably is like, boom. I'm out. I'm gonna go have a snack. There's a dead guy in the woods, and gonna go. <laughs> I'm going to go chomp on the dead guy. I'm going to go trauma eat right now. Yeah. <laughs> so and then Cecil's outside too. And then suddenly his whole body catches on fire and he starts his maniacal laughter again. He's like, ha ha, you can't kill me. You can't fight fire with fire. And then either right before he falls or right after, there's this really cool sound effect because we get like the roaring fire, right? And the, his whole body's on fire and, you know, what to do like in a fire suit, right? We get, his whole body's on fire and he's, you know, moving around. And then there's like this pop noise that would be like when like the seal of his body like breaches sort of, you know, kind of thing. Like when you're burning enough and then like your skin ruptures kind of thing. And then he falls. And I thought that was really cool because it was just, it was creepy enough to like, yeah. just like, it just sounded like a burning fat all of a sudden. It was like, and you're like, oh, oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's dead. Right? Yeah. I'm still unclear on like how he caught on fire. Like he must have done it to himself, right? I guess it's yeah, really unclear. Anyway, that I mean, part confused. We, we do me. we do never get that answer. Like obviously he can't control. He's apparently well, according to this scene, he's not. But like previously, we assume he's relatively like immune to fire because like in the bar, it's like whole arm was on fire. Right, right? it didn't hurt him at all. Right. But we still don't get the answer that, like, Fire Freak Beatty has of, like, how he's igniting it. Because we get that he's, like, using accelerant and paint and that kind of stuff, you know, and adding it to cough syrup to, like, burn people. But we still don't actually know how he's igniting. So he's actually still, like, creating fire out of nothing. Right. He just doesn't have, like, like control over it once it's on fire, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. it's a little weird. So then Scully appears at Mulder's office's door or their shared office's door or whatever's going yeah, on. Or just some the, the door. The X-Files yeah. office door. And yeah. she's like, Mulder's like, yeah, Phoebe left and she left me this cassette tape. 
and Mulder hasn't listened to it, which good for him. Like, kind of screw her if that's what she's going to, I don't know. I don't love the whole leaving a cassette tape. I feel like that's a melodramatic. Just say goodbye. And so then Scully's like, all right, well, okay. And then she goes back to her office or sits it there off <laughs> whatever, wherever she's typing up her case writing. Yeah, she knows. is typing up her case writing and she writes that Cecil was admitted to a hospital with fifth and sixth degree burns. And military specialists were brought in to study the case because it's so unusual that he even survived those kinds of injuries and that he's healing really fast. Like, apparently, it's really astounding that he's healing at a super fast rate. Yeah. And then so we, he's not dead. He's not dead. And we cut to, like, a scene kind of while she's talking. We cut to, like, a hyperbaric chamber. And Scully says that, like, they had to remove everything flammable from his room because things just kept bursting into flame. And they put him in this hyperbaric chamber so that he can heal without any outside influence. And the nurse kind of walks over to the chamber and there's like a window where you can see in and he looks pretty charred Mm -hmm. and burned. And she's like, can I get you anything? And he just says, I'm dying for a cigarette. Yeah. And his eyes, when his eyes open, there's like a cracking noise, like, like, like scabs or something are popping. That's also another little. Yeah, it was good. And that's the end. Yeah. So when Scully first comes in, she's all like doing British accent on him. And I was like, oh, yeah, because she's by a dialectical. Because again, we talked about like she can speak British. So yeah. <laughs> she can. Yeah. She's fluent. So, however, I have some. On her voiceover, she mentions that he was admitted to Boston Mercy Hospital. It's apparently the hospital you go to if you're in Cape Cod and are on fire. But then, like two sentences later, she says he's in a high security medical facility. Well, that makes sense. So he was probably admitted to the hospital immediately and they probably expected to pronounce him dead. And then he was probably transferred. Okay. So maybe we're just not getting the transfer. It's like he was admitted to Boston Mercy Hospital and like military specialists coming in because his basal tissue is already healing and he's in a high security medical facility. I'm like, it's like the same paragraph and you're saying right. different places. Yeah, I think And then she mentioned transferred. that he's going to be charged with the murder of a Massachusetts caretaker. But, like, they're not going to charge him with, like, attempted murder or arson or, like, extradite him to the UK for all those other murders. They're just going to charge him with the murder of the caretaker. That's all? <laughs> yeah, that that seems a little weak. I mean, I guess that's one they can definitely get him on. And they'll probably... Can they? Do they have proof that he killed him? Well, they have the body Or her? We don't know this. That doesn't... A body in your backyard doesn't mean you did it. I mean, most of the time it does, but... <laughs> I mean, anyway. they can, I'm sure they have evidence for that. And I'm sure the UK will also probably petition to extradite him because he obviously killed way more people over there. Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah, it was weird. This whole episode was kind of weird, to be honest. Yeah, and that last scene's kind of trash, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, like, we need the, the catchy ending line or whatever. Yeah, because here's, here's, here's a better way to do that scene, right? So you get the same scene, right? You get the like panning around you don't have the nurse you get the panning around of the hospital and you have the facility and you're going through the door and they they pan around the hyperbaric chamber and then you hover over the glass and like his eyes flash open and then boom you're done like you don't get little snappy witty like i could use a cigarette you don't need the nurse like asking him if he needs anything like what are you gonna do open it and give it to him what I mean, you probably can, but yeah, it's probably not a good idea. So he can like make you catch on fire with your flammable clothing, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just, that would be a way better ending. 
Yeah, that definitely would. I feel like that would be, I don't know. They, I feel like I can't remember. I don't know if it's just like an X-Files thing or a nineties thing, but they, Less de- is more. they definitely love doing that. Like last line that like they yeah. think is super. Well, it's like with ghost in the machine, right? You just end with the flashing lights, but no, we've got to get, what was his name? I can't remember what his name was now. Claude? But like, Claude. Yeah. I'm going to figure this out if it kills me. Right. It's like, we don't need that. Just get the flashing lights. Oh shit. What's going on with the computer? Is it back? Yeah. Yeah. And apparently Phoebe was originally conceived to be kind of a recurring role. Cause like she's with Scotland Yard. So that would give them like a, a line to that. And also Chris Carter thought it would be fun to show more of Mulder's past and bring back an ex-girlfriend. But obviously we now know this ended up being her only role or her only yeah, episode on the show. So because it she- sucked. Yeah, they didn't have... It wasn't written well. Well, they didn't all. have good chemistry. And, like, if it was trying... Like, I, f- I feel like what it was trying to do is show that Mulder has, like, a life before, obviously. And possibly give us some indication of how Scully relates to him outside of work. Because now there's this other woman pursuing him. Mm-hmm. But, like, Mulder just had so little... In- like, he did not care at all. He was not into it. There was never a moment in the show that we saw, maybe they filmed it, where he even has like a moment of like, where you think he might miss her or want to get back together with her. Whereas like, it's really yeah. clear. Well, I mean, there's that, there's that, he does have that look like when he sees her come into the hotel and she's got the, the fancy dress on. Right. And he's he's kind of has that little look of like, oh, she's beautiful or, you know, something like that kind of thing. But that's pretty much all we get. But I mean, yeah. I don't know how much of that is like acting versus how much of that is like writing. Yeah, I don't know, but it just didn't seem like he had any interest in anything but like solving this case and moving on with his life. So it's kind of a shame. I mean, I imagine Chris Carter was like, oh, we can get that cool like triangle dynamic of like we have like, you know, who's the real relationship here? Is it Mulder and Scully or is it Mulder and Phoebe or, you know, whatever. I imagine maybe that's kind of what he was thinking. And then it would it actually would be interesting to maybe get some idea of like what was Mulder up to when he was at Oxford. Yeah, for sure. You know, that would be interesting because I mean, he obviously like he get into the X-Files when he joined the FBI, right? Because that's where the X-Files exist, but he obviously was interested in this stuff before because of what happened with his sister. So it'd be interesting to see like what he got up to besides like the creepy stuff. They kind of slightly mention in the episode about indiscretions on Arthur Conan Doyle's grave. And yeah, I didn't really need to know about that. (laughs) Well, I'm glad. That's why I brought it up. So everyone can know. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Joe. Yeah. But yeah, I, it would have been interesting to get a little bit of that and maybe have, but then it's like, well, then what are you doing? Are you doing flashbacks? How are, how are you doing that? And like, they're in the FBI. They're not like supposed to go into other countries and do stuff. So right. You, like having someone there would be interesting. Cause like, Oh, maybe there's something happening in the UK. That's interesting. But then how do you handle, like, how do you write that? And that may happen later in other seasons, too. And they figure out a way to write it. But, like, how do you write, like, FBI agents going to another country to, like, investigate stuff? Yeah. But I bet the next episode has less viewers than this one did. <laughs> I'm just going to guess. Anyway. So I did learn, so I mentioned this earlier, that apparently Morgan and Wong, and it sounds mainly more like Wong, specifically, in this case, acted as, like, an editor on scripts that are written and i guess that makes sense because of like executive producers and i don't know like if that's what producers do i know like there have been like movies where like producers have like dramatically changed like storylines and like gotten rid of actors and brought in other actors so you know 
they have some control. But so it sounds like at least Wong, probably both of them, because like the last episode we talked about, because it was a freelance episode, like Morgan and Wong kind of did some rewrites on it. Yeah. So it sounds like at least Wong also did some like at least editing work on this episode and did some tweaks and changes and that kind of stuff. So. So whether like, you know, scolding her like, is that what you were extending? Was Chris Carter or maybe Wong? It or sounds like Chris Carter or, or me. Or maybe Morgan. I'll give Morgan some credit. It could be. It could be any of them. Yeah. So, but yeah. So apparently that is kind of how it works. So I don't know if it's like a, a writing room kind of thing, but apparently part of their job as like executive producers is to like go through and like tweak things here and there. Yeah. Which on, would make sense because TV is almost so. never written exclusively by one person. It's pretty rare. I mean, it happens, but... Yeah. And again, jumping back to last episode. So I had to mention that I was kind of irritated at the X-Files official archives book by Paul Terry about how the whole like date stamping of episodes and how like they couldn't work. There's a file for fire in that book and all the dates are redacted. Huh. So maybe they figured that out at some point because the next one is also the dates are redacted. Huh. So maybe they decided that like, it was easier than trying to put dates in because they couldn't yeah. make it work. So, I mean, maybe that was supposed to happen in the other ones too and someone dropped the ball and didn't redact the dates. And or so... maybe they have like official dates that they're getting from somebody and then they yeah, just haven't thought them it's out. Just like because the, <laughs> the dates for Ice and for Eve like are like two days apart. Right. And, you know, things happen in between. So it was like impossible. So that's why I was irritated. But yeah, so... Okay, so moving on. I mean, it's a beautiful book. I would recommend people get it if they're interested in the X-Files. Like I'm said, definitely going like, to get it. I'm excited. <laughs> it looks like you have like files and it's very beautiful. I mean, some of the things are hit or miss. Some of the stuff is like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Some of the stuff is like, yeah, whatever. I kind of got that from the episode. But it's it's, it's, it's nicely. It's a very, it's really a heavy book. It's like really it's like the, the book itself is like super heavy, like card stock and like really heavy, like paper on the pages and everything. So it's pretty nice. Nice. But yeah. Cool. Anyway. There was one other thing. So What's that? I'm just, I, I have, I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to be like Steve Jobs, like one more thing. Anyway, the people who get that reference. So I, I was like of the age where I'd be watching TV, like in the late eighties and early nineties and be like in my, you know, late teens, or early twenties at that time. And you could not watch television in the late eighties and nineties and not have watched this episode and think, Oh, Jillian Anderson is pregnant. Because they, what they kept cutting her, like the yeah. blocking and stuff, it's like they kept trying to hide her. And it was exactly all that stuff they do when they're trying to hide, like, someone who is pregnant when the character is not supposed to be pregnant. Like, she would be holding a coat. They would keep doing, like, above-the-waist shots. Or she'd be, like, bent down so you couldn't see her abdomen. Or there'd be, like, things blocking it. Like, I told her, but then I went and looked it up. And, like, she didn't have her first kid until 94, like, huh. late 94. So she wasn't pregnant. So I don't know what was going on with like the blocking in this episode huh. because it totally looks like, I mean, I watched it. I'm like, Oh, this is, this must be when Jillian Anderson is pregnant. That's why it's like, she's not in it that much. And when she's in, she's sitting down a lot, you know, that kind of stuff because she's pregnant. So they can't have her walking around because she's maybe got a little baby bump, but she didn't. So I don't know what was going on. Weird. I wonder what that is. I wonder if it just ended up being the shots that they used Happened to yeah, be those shots. It seemed, there was some reason about like the late eighties and early nineties. There were lots of TV shows where like the characters weren't supposed to be pregnant, and so they had to you know do you know special outfits and 
you're always behind a table or what have you. So, and this episode totally had all that kind of stuff going on in it. Yeah, I didn't notice that, but I could see that. Fine, 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 fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I could see that because there are parts where she's like behind the car and stuff. And like, I just, it didn't click in my head. But now that you pointed out, I definitely can see it. She was, I think she was wearing her, that purple trench coat. At one yeah, point. well, she like, was wearing that purple blazer again with like the cream top, which okay. I really like. So I was like, yay, Scully's looking nice. And so I guess we got to get to the uh, rating. Yeah, probably. This episode is hard to rate because, uh, I don't know, it's hard because like, it's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay. It's fine. It's a, it, as far as X-Files episodes go, it's fine. It's got a weird thing going on. I don't feel like they developed the weird thing super well because, like, again, we don't understand how the dude's powers work or, like, we get his motivations kind of. Kind. Like, it sounds yeah. like he's a political assassin at first, right? And then it sounds like maybe he has, like, an infatuation with these women and he's killing their husbands. And we don't really understand how he's able to control fire and the ending like and i think mark shepherd does a great job like he is auditioning for crowley here and he is nailing it like the whole, no like, i don't think he i don't think he does a thing. bad job acting he's a great actor it's just his motivations are just not clear and his abilities aren't clear which makes it hard because we just like i still don't understand how he got caught on fire was that his own thing and then he wasn't able to control it because of the accelerant she threw at him or yeah, I, I mean, don't know I mean, what he's, was going on well, there. I mean, while he's doing it, he's, like, doing that maniacal laughter kind of thing. Right. And, like, saying, like, you can't kill me. You, you can't, can't fight, fight fire, fire with fire. fire. But then, like... So yeah, is it almost like he did that on... Did he do it on purpose to, like... I don't know. He didn't get I don't know. shot? I don't know. I kept, like, Mulder, why aren't you shooting him? Like, when they're in the hallway, and he's, like, standing there, and, like, you know he's going to burn the place down. Like, shoot him, Mulder. And, like, Scully's like, Scully, put a bullet in him. Like, the gun's not going to make the place blow up. Like, put a bullet in him. I guess that's why I'm not an FBI agent because I would shoot people all the time. Yeah, so. it's probably not a great impulse, but this guy deserved a shot in the foot or something. I don't know. <laughs> Get him. Yeah. So he'll be like, ow, my foot. Boom, you're on fire. <laughs> I don't know about yeah, that. You know. We don't know how his powers work. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if he oh, gets all my shot. Power, all my powers come from my foot. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, for all we know, that is exactly how it works. My magical elephant shoes that I got in Ireland. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, dear. So, I don't know. Like, I was trying to think about my rating, and I'm like, uh, I mean, it's probably like a four, to be honest. Okay. Like, I like Mulder and Scully in this episode. They're not really... You know, they're not super working together. I like Scully. She's awesome. I like Mulder. I don't have anything against Phoebe. I just feel like she was okay and if she came back i wouldn't be like oh no it's phoebe again but like i wouldn't be like oh yeah it's phoebe again you know yeah i think they were just trying to shoehorn stuff into the episode to add like interest that they maybe could have done something different with maybe like the anyway. whole like molders afraid of fire which is cool like i like the idea that he has things that freak him out other than aliens i mean it could have been an old girlfriend but then not been so whatever how they wrote it right and just be like like an off-putting reaction between both of them kind of thing but like she's genuinely coming to him because we don't even know that she's i mean we kind of guess she is but we don't genuinely know that she's coming to Mulder specifically to get help 
or if she's like, oh, you know what? I had an old boyfriend who was really scared of fire. I'm going to go mess with him. Like, well, and that's the thing is like we meet her after she messes with them so hard, they think their car is going to explode. Yeah. So she's not exactly likable. And I don't mean to say that like, and it's hard because she's a woman. I don't want to be like, wow, the unlikable woman is flirting with Mulder. I don't care who flirts with Mulder. Literally anyone can flirt with Mulder. It's fine. Well, they apparently like Chris Carter has mentioned like he wanted to, like he wrote her so she could be like the villain, even though apparently he wanted her to come back. So why would you want a villain to come back? Well, and like, she's just, it's fine to have, like, maybe he was trying to do that whole like Moriarty and Holmes dynamic type thing or who knows, but like it just... It was weird and their dynamic was weird because she kept trying to flirt with him and he was just super not interested. And so that made it weird. And then it made it weird that she brought him in on this fire case when she knows that's like his terror. And then the case itself was kind of a weird mess and it was just kind of like a confusion of names and like, yeah, it wasn't super exciting. And again, it's not the kind of episode where I'd be like, if I turned on an X-Files marathon, I wouldn't be necessarily change the channel yet but I wouldn't necessarily like sit down and watch. Maybe I'd go do the dishes until the next episode came on. I will say that if this is like, you know, like I said, we don't know how much like Morgan and Wong or Wong or whatever, you know, manipulated the the script or whatever for this. But I mean, it is listed as being written by Chris Carter. I will say one thing that I will give him credit for is it's been a few episodes since this has happened, but in this episode, Scully is written to be, incredibly competent yes she whereas in some previous episodes she's i don't think she's been intentionally written to be like incompetent but she's written to be like the method for exposition which makes her seem like she doesn't know what she's doing or right because we need someone to ask the questions and that falls to her whereas this one she is like you know suck it scotland yard i mean she's the one who solves it she goes through she gets the paper she does all the work and so she she's is very competent and I really like Scully in this episode. I really like Mulder in this episode. I don't have anything against it. It's just not a favorite, and I probably wouldn't watch it again unless... No, I don't think this episode... I yeah. haven't said that since Deep Throat, probably, but I, this episode could probably not exist, and you would not You would lose zero. Like Unlike Deep Throat, where you would lose Deep Throat, right? If you got rid right. of Deep Throat, this episode, you could lose it, and no one would even notice. Right. Like You could be like, I bought the box set, and this episode would be missing and you'd be like oh i thought season one had 25 <laughs> episodes i guess it only has 24 okay cool <laughs> so yeah that said i'm actually going to give it a three okay yeah which is a little which is a half a point higher than i gave deep throat i had some severe animosity with deep throat because it was like only the second episode and it was coming <laughs> off of like a nine it was coming off yeah the pilot and then it was just so bad it was like no punishment <laughs> boom so See, I, I like Deep to... Throat better than this. Like I would watch Deep Throat again. Okay. I don't know that I would watch this one. Yeah. Well, again. based on my previous scores, so this one gets a little bit more than Deep Throat. It actually technically gets the same score as let's see, I gave Jersey Devil a three, I believe. Yeah. So And you know, I almost gave this one a three, and I think what saved it is that I just like some of the interactions with Mulder and Scully a little more. And I thought they were good. I thought they had good. Yeah, I just can't base like an episode on interactions because that's, see, and I nothing. do because to me, like the character like, development, you gotta have, and interaction you gotta have that a, matters. But you got to have a story that makes sense. You do, and this one, but that always that'll push it up for me. It can I mean, have, like, like we've, we've had some stories that actually were good stories, and the interaction was off. Yeah, 
And then we've had some stories where the story is trash, but the interactions were good. And it's like, maybe we need to like merge them together to get like a really good episode. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. But I'm going to give it a three. That always, yeah, ups it a little bit. But so you give it a three. I'm going to give it a four. And we've had a couple really good episodes. We had Fallen Angel. We had Eve. So I'm Mm -hmm. hoping fire is kind of like a dip. And I'm hoping that it is a dip. And that now that we've had this one that wasn't super great, we're going to go back up. Yep. So our next episode is going to be Beyond the Sea. Okay. And we will see if it's, if it's worthy good. of the X-Files moniker. Because I'm not sure that fire is. So I believe Beyond the Sea is one that relates a lot to Scully's father. Like there's some stuff with her dad in this one. So I don't, I don't remember a lot about it. But I do remember that there's something with her dad in the next one. So okay. that'll be interesting. We'll maybe get some of Scully's motivations and backstory and i think i haven't looked i saw a picture that usually appears with beyond the sea and i think it's the guy who played billy in one flew over the cuckoo's nest huh so cool i I don't know for sure it looks like him i was trying to figure out where i recognize him from and this morning i was like wait i think it's the guy from one flew over the cuckoo's nest but i haven't looked at that so we'll find out i'm sure we'll mention it if it is yeah and if it's not maybe we'll mention it too and say like (laughs) no nick you were wrong it's not him that's okay all right well, I think it's time to burn this episode <laughs> down. Yes, it is. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production, editing, and mixing is by Lazy End Productions. And our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to help us improve the podcast and reach more listeners. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. And you should definitely check out our show notes. Every episode has show notes that include a short summary, our research materials, where to find us online, and maybe occasionally secret bonus info that might get you loot. Maybe. Possibly. Ooh, that sounds cool. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like The X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Yeah, they might get free stuff. Who knows? That'd be cool. Anyway, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode 13. Lucky number 13, Beyond the Sea. And try to figure out if the The truth truth is is still out out there.
it sounds like I'm cutting you is what it sounds like. Okay. Sounds like a sound and cut. And I'm, of, yeah, and I'm not cutting it's you. It's just me so, cutting yeah. myself. Yeah. I'm just, I'm like, here's this scene. You're making me look bad is what you're doing. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm self-editing. <laughs> yeah. You're self-jump cutting. Yeah. I'm great at podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> it's my skill. Okay. Um.